welcome to the STEM Economy with your host, Matt Bender. With so much going on in crypto and the rest of the tech industry, it's almost easy to forget that just a little over a month ago, Apple announced a VR headset, bringing new life to one of the industry's latest shiny objects, virtual reality, and all the adjacent industries that go with it, like the metaverse. Welcome to Scam Economy, everyone. I am your host, Matt Binder. And on today's episode, we'll be talking about all of the latest scam economy hype surrounding VR and the metaverse. But before we do that, if you'd like to support this show, go to patreon.com slash mattbinder and become a paying subscriber. Go to scameconomy.com for the podcast version of this show. Go to youtube.com for the video version of this show. And also I opened up YouTube memberships for people who prefer to sign up there instead of Patreon. And as always, you can find me on pretty much every social media platform as Matt Binder. And a quick note, this episode was recorded just days before the official rebranding of Twitter by Elon Musk to X. So any references to Twitter is before that. But you know what, maybe we'll we'll keep calling it Twitter on this show anyway, because that's a whole nother scam economy episode in and of itself. But Let's get to the latest on VR and the metaverse. Hype in the scam economy. And joining me now to discuss all of this is Paris Marks, host of the podcast Tech Won't Save Us, author of Road to Nowhere, What Silicon Valley Gets Wrong About the Future of Transportation, and writer at the Disconnect newsletter. Paris, thank you so much for joining me today on Scam Economy. Thanks so much. Really excited to chat with you. I'm really excited to have you on, too, because, you know, as as we continue on this show to discuss uh, beyond crypto, while still sticking sort of with like the crypto adjacent world, I think like to, to bring this up, uh, you know, is super important because it's going to really show people, um, you know, how while crypto sort of has its tentacles everywhere even companies that have had no sort of interest in crypto are getting pulled into into this sort of world of the 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 tech industry hype bubble and it's obviously it's not something new to tech but i feel like as as i don't know i guess like as consumer electronics and online platforms sort of plateau we're getting sort of trapped in this sort of thing where the tech industry feels like they need to hype up industries as innovations that really don't add as much lives as sort of previous tech innovations have. Do you sort of feel the same way about about this? Like, I feel like, you know, the iPhone came out in 2007 and that like completely changed the game when it came to how people communicated obviously smartphones as a whole android devices not to just give you you know apple all the credit here but you know we're going to be talking about apple's virtual reality headset uh, but like you know and that sort of 
changed people's lives, how people communicate, how people interact, how they're always connected, how they use the internet and social media. Um, but now it's like, we really gotta sit through all these people promising us that AI is gonna change the world. Like, you know, the iPhone just sort of did. It didn't have to continuously, <laughs> you know, remind people that it's going, it was going to do that. Absolutely. You know, your show might be like looking a lot at crypto, but I think if, if crypto itself was the scam, you can look at the tech industry as like a series of scam economies as they have to like hype up the next big thing and make it, you know, the thing that everyone is going to invest all their money in. And then that crashes. And then there has to be something new. And crypto was one of those things. And it has had its kind of crash moment. Now we're in the AI hype moment. So everyone needs to be excited about chat GPT and, you know, stable diffusion and blah, 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 and how it's going to like transform the world. Um, but that is inevitably going to crash as well. Give it like six months, a year, whatever. There might be some aspects of it that kind of stick around a bit more. But the idea that like it's going to have these world changing implications that it threatens the future of humanity. Like, oh, this is just a wild load of bullshit that, you know, these tech founders really want us to buy into. And I would say if you look at the history of technology, like you can look at things like the iPhone that have this really transformative aspect to them. But I would say you can also look at many other things like the Internet of Things or all the automation in the mid 2010s and like all these other concepts that have kind of come and gone. But at one moment, were supposed to be the next big thing and then didn't happen. Right, right. So let's let's jump right into the Apple headset, which is it's called. I mean, I, I, I really am, uh, you know, Apple used to just throw in the word the letter I and things <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, but just, just vision is so bizarre to me. Like it's vision, vision pro though, vision pro, ah. you know, you already have your vision, right? Now it's giving you the pro version that you're just going to stick oh, on. Top is that, of it. Is that really, <laughs> see, to me, I was just like, Oh, they're coming out right away with the pro version. So when they do end up rolling out the, uh, the yeah, slightly that, that less <laughs> expensive one. Yeah. Then we're going to get like, uh, then it'll just be the vision, right? So yeah, they're, they're... I prefer my version of it, though. <laughs> right, right, right. Last month, uh, you know, in June, Apple has their uh, their uh, World Developer Conference event, uh, which you know it's interesting how even that's changed to become like a. Uh, and for people who don't know, why don't you tell them what uh, you know the WDC uh, historically has been for Apple? Totally, it's it's this big kind of time of the year when they get all these developers together who you know create apps and programs and all that kind of stuff for apple right they're really important people for the larger apple ecosystem of business model because if you didn't have all these people making iphone apps and programs for your mac like those you know devices that hardware would not be nearly as valuable as they actually are to us right if we didn't have all these apps that we were using on our phones and whatnot so wwdc is kind of the moment or you know as as the people in the industry like to say with the lingo you know it's it's dub dub that's you know how they refer to it um so it's, it's about getting all these people together. But to start it off, Apple always had this big keynote where they would not only bring you through like what was changing about the various operating systems, but would usually kind of announce some new products and stuff. Right. And in the past, that was like, like you know, this 
big um, event that they would put on where like Tim Cook would be on stage and all these other folks would come out on stage and, you know, they'd have this really choreographed like two hours, maybe even more where they were showing off these operating systems and, and all this kind of stuff. What happens now, though, since the pandemic is that none of that really happens. They just get all these people, all these journalists in particular, to sit out in a field at Apple Park and watch uh, this kind of video that they've put together on a large screen. And it's like, what is even the point of being there? Like, you can just not travel to San Francisco and, like, watch it on your computer. But these people do get to, like, play with some of the devices afterwards. So I guess that's part of the reason to have them there. But I don't know. It just seems kind of sweet. Right. I mean, it feels like it feels like it's even like the name of the the event used to correspond with the fact, like you said, that it was mostly this event for developers. I remember they would have like, you know, uh, uh, like sort of like keynote events and uh, uh, sort of I don't know if class is the exact word, but there was. Yeah, there'd be like days of workshops and talks and stuff like that. Right. 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 And now it's just basically. Oh, the September Apple event where we unveiled the new iPhone works so well for us every year. Why don't we just do multiple versions of that around the clock every, you know, throughout the year? And then, yeah, you know, we'll get the extra press. The 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 consumer base will have, uh, you know, will erupt in talking about us and, and going out to pre-order our products. You know, not just in September every year, but we'll get them again in October and then in April and June. (laughs) You know, it's like it's like all right, they they've clearly mapped this out good for Apple, and you know, and so this year they unveiled this Apple Vision Pro, and see the bizarre thing to to me is like all right, so we're going to obviously be talking about the the virtual reality VR high bubble, and then without a doubt. Once we bring that up in the year 2023, we have to bring up the metaverse. And then, of course, we'll be talking a little bit about how the metaverse is so tied to Mark Zuckerberg's company, Meta. And then, of course, we'll talk about how the metaverse in general outside of Meta is so tied to cryptocurrency in, in so many ways. And, and we're going to get into all that. But the, the bizarre thing to me is sort of like Apple is jumping into this space Um that has become defined by everything I just said. Yet, you know, they don't have the metaverse play, the cryptocurrency play. And from, you know, from the the the, the rumor mail that's been going around for, for many years, Apple has been planning this sort of virtual reality headset for, for like a decade, if not more. Like this has been a long time in the works. So like they sort of got stuck releasing this product after like all these companies rushed out various versions of this throughout the years and sort of define the space as something else that like Apple, I feel like wouldn't have dipped their toe in if they had known this was the way things were going. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, it's very not Apple's scene what the VR space has become. Totally, totally. Like, I think that there's so much to to talk about in in what you've just said, right? This is a project that has been in the works for a long time. It's a post Steve Jobs product, or Tim Cook, 
Tim Cook's leadership. And basically it was one of these projects where, you know, the Apple kind of company was trying to figure out what they were going to do next because they had to do something, right? They couldn't just rely on the phone and the iPad and the watch was already under development before Steve Jobs died. So, you know, people debate whether that's considered a Jobs project or a Cook project or whatever, right? But Tim Cook also wanted something that was going to like define his time at the company. And so the car project is one of those things, you know, the car that has been in the works for years um and the most recent news we have is that it's not coming out until at least 2026 because again the tech just like isn't there it's not as far along as they hoped it would be it's not developing properly which is what we see with a lot of these autonomous vehicle projects um but then the other one was the vr headset and i think the thing to say about that is that the initial idea was not so much a VR headset, right? The initial idea was that you would just wear on your face like a regular set of glasses, and it would, but it would have like a computer display on it, so you'd be able to see all this like information that I guess was gonna be pulled from your phone or whatever. But the tech for that also didn't work, right? Uh, because it requires more computing and more battery and stuff than they can stick in a pair of glasses. So instead they had to, had to shift and pivot to this more kind of headset device, like a VR headset. Um, and you can tell that it's really an imperfect product, that there's really no kind of idea of what it's really going to be used for. They're just kind of throwing things at the wall and hoping that something ultimately sticks. Like with the watch, you know, when the watch originally came out, they were presenting it as this fashion device, and they also had a bunch of different possible uses. And then it became clear that most people were really using it for fitness, so that was like what they focused on, right? Um, and so with this headset, they're saying it's for watching movies, they're saying it's for doing office work, they're saying it's for taking meetings and do time calls where you're not actually on the call. It's a, an AR kind of scan of your face that is mimicking your expressions, but not actually you. Like it's super weird, the kind of stuff that they're throwing out there. Or of course, you're just going to wear one in your day-to-day -day life and like record your kids with your headset on your face and then watch it back later. Like I guess when your wife has left you because you're just wearing a headset all the time and you're a total weirdo and loser um, like these tech bros. But yeah, so there's like this this kind of <laughs> wild idea of what this is potentially going to be. Pers like my my vibe is like they've really misjudged this really terribly. Like one of the things that um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dave Karp, but he wrote a piece for Wired like a couple of years ago, it was right before um, Facebook really kind of took on this big kind of metaverse play where he described VR as the rich white kid of technology in that it's constantly going to be the next big it fails, but then it still gets more money and it's going to be the next big thing again. And then it fails again because we've had so many versions of like VR is going to happen now. And like there's old video game consoles that were focused on VR and like we did it again like a decade or so ago and VR was supposed to be the thing. And now VR is supposed to be the thing again. And it never really happens because I don't think people want to have like big headsets strapped to their faces all the time. Right. I mean, I remember I had a, a Nintendo Virtual Boy back in the 90s. Totally. I mean, everything was, was red. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is a thing that existed. I mean, and that's sort of like the thing to me. Like, they, they're, and this isn't just Apple, obviously, but the VR industry is so obsessed with integrating this into every facet. And I think this is where, like, not only like is the 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 connection with crypto that like oh you know in so many of these metaverse worlds crypto is into this is to me just another this is a totally different way it's connected where 
crypto was sort of the same thing in terms of it had to monetize everything. Uh, you know, everything needs to be, everything's a speculative asset. Uh, NFTs are going to come along and you're gonna be able to connect even real world things to NFTs and you're gonna be able to speculate and throw down money and, and put a price on everything. Um, in this way, like the VR world wants everyone to be and everything to become VR. Like you'll be, oh, we won't need desktop computers anymore because you'll be doing your work in, uh, in a, a, a virtual reality headset. Oh, uh, meetings, virtual reality headset. Socializing, a virtual reality headset. Who needs to go to a concert when you got a virtual reality headset? And it's just like, why can't you just understand that you're working with a niche device that, sure, could be used for entertainment purposes or what is it, you know, gimmick that, that it actually works for, like video games, for example. But, like, it's not going to be a device that people live on, like their phone, uh, for example, because inherently you can't experience the real world. You can't experience life while also partaking in VR. Like, it's it's not something you can just do on the side. Like, you can just, like, quickly whip out a phone and text somebody or open up the uh, map app on your phone and find out directions so when you're, you and your friends could actually then go ahead and go somewhere together physically. Totally. I like. I think it's a complete delusion by these companies to think that this is something that's really attractive to people, that we all want to be wearing these screens on our face all the time. But you can see why they want to do it, right? On one hand, I think that there's this kind of inherent kind of like these people who develop like a bit more antisocial than the average person um, and also kind of obviously a bit more interested in new technologies and stuff. But as you described, there's this kind of idea that like you're going to put this headset on your face and you're going to like interact with the world through this headset. You're, so you're going to be constantly like you're going to watch movies by yourself because you're just going to have this headset on or you're going to call people with this headset on or you're going to interact with your family with this headset on. And the idea there is is like two different things right on one of it there's a recognition that these companies make more money if you know we are kind of socially excluded right if we're not interacting with other people and we're always using the technology as a way of mediating everything that else that we do in the world and i think that we see this as with, with like the delivery services and stuff like the idea with the delivery services is you're going to stay home or you're going to work a lot and always be at work or one of these areas and then you know, everything else that you need you in your personal space or your workspace, and you're never going to go outside of that and interact with the rest of the world. Right. Um, it's a very kind of, I think, very social exclusionary idea of how society should work. And I think that these tech people in particular kind of are much more attracted to that way of living life and setting up society than an average person. But I think that the other angle of this is that the tech companies realize that the more we are looking at screens, the more they are making money, right? And we saw this through the pandemic in particular, right? right those first couple of years when everyone was on their screens and there was like, you know, social distancing and people weren't seeing as many people because you didn't want to risk spreading the virus or catching the virus. And so we were using our screens way more and you saw the revenues and profits, but all these major tech companies go through the roof, right? It's part of the reason they hired so many workers and started expanding, like Amazon started building so many warehouses and later had to pull back because they just thought all this growth was going to like continue. Like pandemic was not some exceptional moment, but our new, you know, normal and everyone was just always going to live isolated in their bubbles and looking at their screens all the time. But 
now we're like kind of past that moment, like COVID has not gone away, but most of society has kind of gone back to normal where we still interact with people again and all that kind of stuff. And we've seen kind of the usage of devices and screens drop as a result. But these companies still want us to be looking at the screens all the time because that's what works for them and that's what benefits their you know, business model. And so you can see in the metaverse, the desire to always have people kind of, you know, in this virtual world rather than in the physical world where they're constantly on a screen, they're constantly being tracked, they can constantly constantly be served ads and all this kind of stuff. But you also see it with the Apple device, right? Instead of, you know, me doing my work on my computer and then looking away and going doing something else for a bit, the screen is always there. So I'm always engaging with some sort of program or service or whatnot that is on that screen. Not just when I look down at my phone, but it's always right there on my face. That's what they wanted to do with the smart glasses, but they couldn't make that work because the tech wasn't there. So now they're trying to figure out how we can make a headset that people are going to want to wear, even in situations where you wouldn't really want to wear a computer, which is why they have this weird kind of pass-through thing where you can see a digital version of your eyes if you're talking to somebody else. Like, it's a totally wild idea of how social interaction is going to work. And, like, nobody's going to buy it other than these weird, like, tech people. Like, buy into this vision, I should say. I think there will, unfortunately, be some more people who buy these headsets. Um, but, yeah, it's just it's just such a wild vision of how society should work, how social interaction should work. And it's all filtered through this lens of not just like what do we think is best as tech people, but also what is going to be most profitable for us and how are we going to shape the technology, not so it's for the betterment of like society and, and people and all this kind of stuff, but so it serves shareholders and profits and blah, 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 right? Which is always the guiding light or or whatnot when it comes to Silicon Valley. Right. It's it's so interesting how like, you know, like you said, they wanted to make like sort of wearable uh, connected glasses. And I, I uh, whew, like uh, maybe a year or two ago on this show, um, I did an episode on Google Glass. Um, and, you know, we, we, we talked about Google Glass, but also wanted to point out um, exactly. Uh, actually, let me look up. Uh, I forgot who I had on for that show. Let me quickly because I want to give a shout out to people to check out that episode. Um, oh, Quinn Myers, right? Book on Google. I spoke Glass. to him as well. Right, right. And so uh, it's a great book. Everyone should check that out um, and check the episode out, too, of both my ep uh, podcast and uh, Paris's podcast. <laughs> yeah, and, see our different takes on it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like the interesting thing to me, and I guess maybe an angle that maybe this show focused on a little bit is how like some of the big names in funding the cryptocurrency uh, companies were also involved in Google, Google Glass. You know, obviously the, the most obvious one, uh, Mark Andreessen was involved so heavily. I mean, he had he still has that famous photo out there of his you know, egg-shaped noggin wearing those glasses. <laughs> but uh, the interesting thing to me is like, and let's not forget how Robert Scoble pretty much single-handedly destroyed. <laughs> totally. <laughs> with his shower photo. But like, I'm waiting for the person who puts on a, an Apple Vision Pro in the shower or something and has one of these weird photos that goes viral. <laughs> right, the only problem with that uh, is, that's going to, you know, uh, deny us of that is, uh, I would love to know who's the person who's going to bring in a $3,500 device into the shower. <laughs> Man, these tech people are weird as hell. Like, <laughs> you don't know what they're going to I don't know if you saw this, but uh, someone posted on Reddit like a few weeks ago or something asking whether anyone else is planning to try wearing an Apple Vision Pro while they're driving a car 
so they can still be connected and like, but using the pass through feature on it. So I was like, man, people are not ready for what these tech pros are going to try when this headset comes out into the world, because like we can't even get on their level to imagine the crazy shit that they think they should be able to do with this thing. Right, right. And but like the the weird thing is sort of like I I can't believe that's a thing, but uh, I <laughs> can believe that's a thing. That's the that's the, the that's the scary part. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but like it is isn't it weird how like you know what is it now? Ten years ago, mm-hmm. we were all making fun of Google Glass and how it looked, but now that we see what they want out of these wearable headsets, and what we're getting now, it's funny because like. Google Glass, 10 years on, probably would have worked comparatively to what they're pushing now. Like, I could now imagine, actually, someone wearing those Google Glasses that are, you know, just, they look like regular glasses, but with this weird little, like, Star Trek-esque, like, laser-looking thing on the the side. Um, I could easily imagine people wearing that, you know, walking down the street, and then I could... Anyone regularly wearing a Apple Vision Pro, even at home. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe maybe this is where like I'm actually a bit divorced from the public and don't really understand the degree to which people really have like accepted this kind of stuff wholesale. Because I still feel like if the Google Glass was around today, and of course, like one of the big things with Google Glass that really turned people against it was not just just the people using it and like the ridiculous shit that they were doing as they were testing it out. Um, But also just because people had a camera on their face and you couldn't tell if they were recording or taking a photo of you and people really reacted strongly to that. Right. Um, This notion that people could be just wearing their glasses and filming you and you have no idea. Um, And that is part of what caused this response where the people wearing it were known as glass holes. They told stories of people like ripping it off their faces and like saying mean things to them and and restaurants and and establishments saying if you come in here, you have to take that off your face. Um, Like I think that cameras are much more normalized now than they were in 2013. That is, of course, true. Um, You know, that was much earlier in the smartphone era. Not everyone had a smartphone yet. Um, They were still you know, becoming much more popular and the cameras weren't nearly as good, of course, as they are now. But I feel like even in this, like, you don't see it a ton because you have these TikTokers and these Instagrammers and all this kind of stuff and YouTubers who love to go around and, and film everything and act like they can film whatever they want. But it's like every now and then there are these stories of people who are like, I never gave permission for this random TikToker dude to like film me and like, you know, edit me in this way. And this is like not okay. And I feel like every time that happens, there's a bunch of people who are like, yeah, this has gone too far. Like this needs to be like rain back in. But it's like, what can you actually do as like a society to stop these people? And I think that again, once again, I think if you had people going around with smart glasses, with cameras on their face, I think like it's such an obvious thing. Like your phone is in your pocket. Maybe you take it out sometimes, but you can clearly see if someone is filming you based on the way that they're holding it. Right. But if you're just wearing a pair of glasses that doesn't have any other way of indicating whether it's filming or not, I think once again, I think you would see that real kind of turn by people to say, this is not okay. This kind of breaches a social norm that we are not okay with. And I think the thing with these companies is they always say, oh, Google glass did it wrong, but we would do it right. Like if we got the permission, if I was Meta or Google or, or Apple or whoever, 
we would figure it out that if we did it, it would be good this time and everyone would love it. And I, I, I just personally don't buy it. Maybe I'm totally misjudging society and where it is right now, but I still think people would be like, hell no, that's not okay. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm on board with you personally in terms of like <laughs> it being uh, We're not on the same an okay side thing here. Yeah, and yeah. people wouldn't like the surveillance aspect of it. But then like, you know, a few years ago, there were uh, attempts to popularize the idea again. Snapchat had Snapchat spectacles. Yep. Um, I think what the the sunglass company Ray Ban they came out with their own like line I think it was like Ray Ban stories. They partnered with Meta. Yeah. yeah, and so and like listen, those didn't take off, but those didn't take off I think because companies failed to properly put real marketing and and honestly I don't think they really thought too much of it in terms of like actual uh, putting money into developing it further than just like oh let's get a picture taking pair of glasses out there. But, yeah, you know, I think it, they were too niche, right? Right. Even if you go to a sunglass hut like today, I think you'll still see those Ray-Ban glasses there. Like you can still buy them, but I don't know who is buying them. Like, right. Yeah, but like they <laughs> didn't have. I've this... never personally seen anyone wearing them. Like right. I, I would say that, right? Right. But they didn't have like when they were announced and they were released, like they didn't have the same sort of like backlash that Google Glass had. No. Right? Yeah. So the, like... the Meta ones did have a certain degree of backlash when they were announced. Like the idea that Meta is putting cameras on people's faces is like the idea of Google putting cameras on pieces, people's faces, right? But I think that because they – like people just didn't buy them because they weren't popular. They didn't have the same degree of like people getting angry over them, right? And And it was also – it might have been as well that – it was a bit harder to pick them out. Like they do kind of look like a regular Ray-Ban glass. So you need to pay attention to see if they're really, um, you know, the specific version. Whereas the Google glass was like quite distinctive. Like you could very easily make it out. It, as you said, it had that weird little plasticky lasery chip thing on the side of it. Like you knew that there was something up with those glasses and you could pick it out right away. And I feel like if Apple did something like that, and obviously they're not far along enough that they could uh, because they wanted to put a lot more into that than the Google Glass was able to. And certainly that the Meta Glasses were doing, you know, they weren't trying to display anything on the the glass that was just taking photos with the, uh, the camera that was in the glasses. Um, I think, again, like the Apple ones would have a very distinctive shape and style to them because it's Apple, right? And I think that you'd once again be able to very clearly say, okay, that's the camera glasses. And people would say like, no, you're not around me with the camera glasses on your face. <laughs> right, right. So with, you know, with Apple, I think the, the it, it's pretty clear that like, you know, they were, they were hoping to create something innovative. And I, you know, I do think they've created some like, Clearly, compared to the other VR headsets out there, the Apple one certainly looks, um, you know, way more uh, in, in intuitive, I guess, feature-wise, and and just how it works, and it looks nicer. Um, I mean, I guess if we were all to agree that VR headsets were a, were the future, as a society, agree that VR headsets were the future. I could imagine Apple's vision being closer to the one that people would accept than any other sort of VR headset. I've seen, of course, mine is Nintendo's, Nintendo's Virtual Boy. We'd all want to live in the red <laughs> world, I think. Uh, with the Waterworld video game. I remember the Waterworld game was the big game for the Virtual Boy headset. <laughs> and Mario Tennis. I don't know why that stuck with me, too. But those were the two big games I remember playing. But um, Apple sort of, you know, I, I think it's clear that Apple sort of wanted to do something. And it just took them so long that they ended up just 
taking as long as it took for and, and it just so happens that they released it within the time that the VR hype uh, machine was in full throttle. But with Meta, it's it's like I I, I never quite understood. Like I mean, obviously it's because they we've like we've discussed they wanted. Uh, screens everywhere so people would spend more time on Meta's platforms. But it never was clear to me, even from that angle, where the Meta, the, the Meta, what it was called, like the Oculus Rift when they first acquired it, and they kept that name for a while. Um, but where Meta's headset sort of fit into their overall vision. Like, it, it doesn't fit into Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp. Um, it's It's not integrated as far as I can really I mean I'm sure you could do stuff with it but it's not like they never promoted it so much as like every Facebook Instagram and WhatsApp user needs this headset like they never made that play so to me it never seemed like it it quite fit into their current user base yeah I can certainly give you some thoughts on that and I would just say like with the Apple headset I think it's very clear that they tried to make the smart classes work and it didn't work so they pivoted to the headset and based on some reporting that's been done by Bloomberg in particular, I believe, it appears that there was a lot of kind of internal tension as to whether they were actually going to release this headset now or keep working on it further, you know, to try to turn out something that was going to be a better product. And eventually, you know, the suits basically said and like the Tim Cooks and stuff basically said, no, we need to put something out into the world. This has just been like sitting within Apple in our teams for too long something and the vision pro is what they did right and the hope is that you know someone's going to find it and think it makes sense and develop some killer app that is going to prove to people why it should exist um and so i think that's the idea there right they need some new hardware product because that is what apple is it's a big hardware company even though their services um profits have been growing significantly in recent years um but but that i think is the motivation there and then if you i I don't want to go off topic but it's so funny but you brought this up and i needed to like it's so funny how like they feel like they need to do this like first of all they have like the iphone they could literally exist as the most one of the most successful companies just off of that product alone they also have the ipad which is become like i've never been a fan of tablets in general i to me, it's either you use a phone or you use uh, a computer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need this in-between device. Um, and, you know, the phones keep getting bigger and bigger. Like <laughs> Right, right. Yeah. But, like, even with the iPad, it's clearly become, like, the big tablet uh, in this space. Um, another Apple product I don't get because it's not something that connects with me is the watch. Mm-hmm. But that also sort of become, like, the the big like smartwatch in the field, you know, they're probably uh, the top in that space too. So you have the phones, the tablets, the smartwatches. And, you know, the funny thing is they, they completely have ignored their, their actual computer line, the Mac line (laughs) to the point where like, listen, I I went to film school in the early two thousands. That was the uh, computer you had to buy if you were an artist, if you were a creative, if you were a filmmaker, a graphic designer, photographer, you needed a Mac. And they just let Microsoft come into that space with an assist from Adobe. And now that's just not – you don't need to – in fact, a lot of – you know, the industry doesn't use, I mean, Final Cut used to be the, the indie filmmaker editing tool and they just even 
gave that up to Adobe as well with Premiere. Now it's Premiere's the, the main tool. And the problem with Apple for that is you don't need a Mac to use Premiere. You could also <laughs> use it via with a Windows uh, uh, PC uh, computer. And so they completely blew it on, on their computers and they still seem to just ignore it. Uh, and instead of, you know, continuing to do what they do good and then like putting their focus back on their longest standing uh, line of products, they're just throwing out more stuff that to me just doesn't make sense. Like it's just, they don't need to do this. They're either, they're either like the top in every field or they were once. Yeah. And I think what matters to them more than being the top in the field, though that is of course important is to be the most profitable, right? And we know that their products are insanely profitable because they sell at a premium price tag. Um, and so they make a lot more money than the other companies that are churning out Windows computers and Android phones and all that kind of stuff, even if they sell less kind of in total, right? So it totally works for them. And what we've seen on their Tim Cook is kind of like, the product line keeps expanding because he wants to fill like every kind of niche and offer different price points and all this kind of stuff because he's not like a creative person. He's a money guy, right? He's an inventory guy and he's serving the shareholders first and foremost. So whatever's going to make the line go up, you know, make the numbers go up. That's what he's going to do. Um, and I think if we pivot over to, to meta to explain their kind of desire to move into the metaverse, like I think very cynically, you can see part of it as like there were about the Francis Haugen stuff, the leaks that were happen happening there, and they wanted to, which was about kind of, you know, Facebook's platform, how it was terribly moderating its platform, kind of like the negative impacts that the Facebook social media platform was kind of having in the world, um, and how the company itself, like, kind of didn't care and wasn't doing the right things to try to rein that in. Um, and so they needed something to, like, redirect the focus to, right? Uh, and so six months later, the whole, you know, kind of name change to meta happens, the whole you know, focus on the metaverse, all this kind of stuff, how that's going to be the future of the company. But I think like more seriously, like more fundamentally, if you think about like the business model and like the political economy of what they were trying to achieve. It was like, on the one hand, you had Mark Zuckerberg, who was like, obsessed with the Ready Player One and Snow Crash stuff and really just wanted the metaverse to be a thing because he was personally interested in it. Um, that motivates, of course, part of their purchase of Oculus so that they have the VR thing there. It, there's, it, it's been reported that Mark Zuckerberg, a member of the Oculus VR team, a copy of Ready Player One when they joined the company, being like, please read this book, like this is what we're trying to build kind of a thing, right? Um, but then the other piece of it is that, you know, uh, listeners probably remember back in 2021, I believe it was, um, Apple made some changes to its platforms where it limited the amount of ad tracking that, you know, uh, Facebook and these other platforms could do. And that cut Facebook's ad revenue by $10 billion just in 2021 or 2022. Like it was a really significant drop because they couldn't collect the data in the way that they wanted. And one of the things that Zuckerberg and that Meta as a company have long kind of been concerned about and complained about is the fact that they don't own the platforms that they're on. Like, yes, they have the social media platform, but you access that through a Mac computer or a Windows computer or an iPhone or an Android device. And so there's always someone else making the decision about kind of the platform that you're using and how you actually interact with, you know, social media platform or whatever. Right. And they wanted to control the device like they wanted that degree of control so that an Apple or a Google or whatever couldn't mess with their relationship to the user. And so that is where 
part of the motivation for the metaverse and creating this new platform that's also a hardware platform comes from because they say we're moving from like, you know, the the old web, the web 2.0, whatever, you know, typical kind of crypto language as well. We're moving into this kind of um you know, this metaverse, uh, I forget the specific term that they used to use, but it was something about how like you could actually feel it because you were going to be wearing these technologies that would make this virtual world like physically tangible now or whatever. But I can't remember the specific word they'd use. Um, but anyway, like the idea was we're all going to move into this like virtual 3D space and this is going to be the future of the Internet and blah, blah, blah. And Mark Zuckerberg and Meta are going to control the hardware that you use in order to access that space. And they would say, you know, it was going to be totally open source and everyone was going to be able to create their own metaverses or pieces of the metaverse. And it was going to be very open to creators and blah, 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 because that is language that helped to sell it. But also because Meta felt that it was going to control the hardware. So it still had like the key piece that you need to get into it. Um, and then it doesn't matter if things are more open because they can always take a cut of everything else and they're making the rules. Um, and so I think that that was part of the real motivation there on their part was to increase their control, but to make it look like they were actually opening things up and like being this more transparent and friendly company when that was never the case. <laughs> right. I mean, we see this with like all these big tech companies, the second they get to a certain level where like, cause you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, belittling people in software, but obviously software is a much easier business to get into than hardware. So you need to, if you have, if you aren't starting out as some massive uh, company with funding, you, all these companies trajectory uh, aside uh, because of the, the time that they, uh, well, I guess it was much easier to start a hardware company back uh, when you were one of the first computer companies in general. <laughs> but um you know, uh, it's easier to create a website or some sort of app or software um, or platform. Uh, and from there, once you hit it big and have lots of money to work with, then dive into the hardware business. We see this with Amazon, how they have their own line of like tablets and and devices with it's called like fire um yeah. to mix and, success i think we should say as well right 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 i will say they are the most successful i, I don't know this is, just, this is anecdotal as well but in this house if you are a child like my two oh, totally. kids you get the fire tablet you don't get that expensive apple <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah you get the cheaper one right right yeah. right, that, right. that's right. one with of the, the big selling points with the amazon hardware is like it's like might not work as well, but like that's okay because it's cheap, it's easy to replace, like whatever, right? Right, and Amazon actually sells one specifically designed for kids with like yeah. the default being like the foam built around it, like the foam yeah. casing built around yep. it. For for if you, if you bought an iPad, you have to buy like the normal adult iPad and then yeah. you have to go out and find a, a kid-friendly case for it and buy that on top of the already expensive iPad. Um, not happening for my children, sorry. <laughs> Uh, to them if they are listening <laughs> they are not they're eight and yeah. four but when they do listen to this they'll understand why they didn't have an ipad you know so so you know these companies are all trying to get into the hardware space here but um uh it's it's clear that some are doing better than others and that's because for example apple isn't really chasing it in terms of like how you know amazon and e-commerce companies they're that's how they started and and uh, Meta, which we'll get into a lot more with their VR headset right now, their social media company, it's clear who's comfortable doing this and who's just throwing stuff out there so they could, you know, uh, uh, sell a, I guess, a lower tier hardware product just so they could, you know, 
dip their feet into the space so they're making some of that money there. Exactly, exactly. And you can see that, you know, all these companies do want to get into hardware because that gives them the control of the platform, the device, you know, if, if you're accessing things through their hardware, that gives them a, an extra degree of power. But you can see that Apple has long been a hardware company, right? Like since its inception, it has been a hardware company. That's its DNA. It wants to put more of that stuff out into the world. These other companies are trying to move into that space as well, because they see the opportunity that comes with controlling the hardware, even if, you know, their devices are not going to be nearly as profitable as Apple's devices because it has kind of carved out the niche at the top of the market to take all the profit. So they need to look at other ways to kind of monetize the hardware game. And, you know, for Amazon, of course, it's making sure it gets the Amazon devices in your hands so you use more Amazon services as a result. Um, and, and Meta is similar, right? It wants you to use Meta hardware. It wants you to use the Oculus headset because then it gets you into this broader kind of, you know, metaverse or, you know, the various games that it has, um, you know, and, and those sorts of things. Right. So, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, talking about how these companies are just trying to um, sort of uh, squeeze profit out of every uh, little facet of the, you know, every little niche in the tech industry possible, I think is a great, uh, you know, when I, when I mentioned it earlier about how it's very sort of analogous with what crypto and NFTs and the Web3 space is trying to do. And most direct to that is with Meta and their metaverse. Now, Meta did make a separate crypto play with Libra. I mean, that's a whole separate thing. Yeah. That's a whole nother conversation. But, um, you know, they sort of made their entire company uh, branded around the metaverse play they were going for. And then really quickly, the metaverse became synonymous with crypto Web3 projects. Like, honestly, I, when I think of the metaverse, aside from Facebook, all I think of are these, uh, oh, buy this NFT and uh, put your little character in this world and like, one day we'll have all these different IPs hanging out together in the metaverse, but you'll have to own the NFT for all those IPs. And of course, we're not even going to think about how we're going to convince all these different uh, IP holders like Marvel and DC and Nintendo to all work together and let their characters interact. We'll, we'll just It's going to happen because crypto is the future. We're just going to throw it into the ethos like that. Oh, totally. And, you know, the, this kind of comes from a few different spaces, right? Obviously, Meta is making the push for the metaverse inspired by particular ideas that Mark Zuckerberg thinks are really cool and interesting, but also because there's, you know, a, a kind of capitalist uh, desire behind it, you know, get people into the virtual world, get them using the hardware, be able to kind of monitor and track them at all times, be able to serve them ads and all this stuff because they're in the virtual world. But then, you know, what is the new form of monetization? It's kind of buying all this crap, right? And in the meta metaverse, it's probably not going to be NFTs was kind of, you know, it wasn't the way that they were pushing it. But as you say, there were all of these crypto projects. And because these two ideas were ascendant at the same time, they kind of glommed onto one another, right? And so you had like Decentraland and all these other random, you know, crypto web three metaverse projects that tried to kind of capture this attention and this interest. Because even though, you know, a lot of these companies have gotten out of the metaverse space now. There was this like window of time where all of the big companies or many of the big companies were 
you know, experimenting with or trying NFTs or saying that they might kind of integrate it with their brand. And like the fashion companies were saying, we'll have NFTs and we'll make our clothes available in the metaverse and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. Right. But I think that the idea around the IPs also comes from Fortnite, right? Because the other big kind of metaverse play, I guess, is Epic Games and Fortnite and saying, you know, the metaverse isn't something that's going to come into the future. It's already here because it's Fortnite and we're just going to build on the success of what we have, where we have all of these different kind of companies letting us use their IP and put it in this one world. And the idea is like, we've already done this and now we just need to scale it. So, you know, there'll be many more people buying all this stuff and all these companies kind of letting us use their platform. And it was really funny because, you know, this kind of ties in with Apple too, because Epic Games was making this big argument that like Apple was holding us back from achieving the metaverse because it has the control over the app store and the operating system and blah, blah, blah. And they took them to court and like fought them on it. And they really weren't successful. Like if you look at the court cases and what came out of it, but Tim Sweeney, the guy who runs Epic Games was very much casting himself as like, you know, he was standing up for the creator, pushing back against this major monopolist Apple. But really, if you read what he was saying, all he wanted to do was get Apple out of the way, like kind of break their control on the, like the walled garden and all that kind of stuff. So that then Epic Games could come in and they would control the infrastructure of the metaverse and how you access it and all this kind of stuff. So all of these companies are just trying to get their own control in a certain way. They're always trying to make it look like they're fighting for you and me, the little guy. But actually, they're just trying to figure out how they can control everything and reap all the profit they can possibly get out of it. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I'm so glad you brought up Fortnite because I didn't even think of bringing them up on this ep episode in Epic Games. But, you know, it's so funny that they like sort of frame themselves as a metaverse company and i've seen uh tim sweeney get upset about people crapping on the metaverse and it's like why are you why why are you trying to put your very successful video game franchise in an industry stick it in an industry that has had no success whatsoever <laughs> it's like why do you want to be part of that loser club because I mean, Fortnite is not the metaverse, at least how we've come to hear about it. It's like when when I, when like Marvel or, or or I mean Star Wars or I mean if you think about it, uh, all these different IPs. Now that I come to think about it, it's really just Disney. They're working with Disney each and every time. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, there are so, a few DC characters in there. Fine, fine, fine. But um, th basically, these companies agree. Oh, okay, you can just stick our character in what we know to be exactly what Fortnite is. Like, we all know what Fortnite is. It's not like these other metaverse plays we hear about where it's like, oh, you know, people will be creating stuff and trading stuff and putting these people into whole, whatever worlds they want. And, and you could be, you know, you'll, you could get, take your, uh, your one-up uh, extra life mushroom from the Nintendo game Mario and give it to Darth Vader from Star No, they they know when they put it in Fortnite. No, Darth Vader is just going to be a skin and do exactly what all the other Fortnite characters can do. There's going to be no surprises there. You know, it's not like suddenly someone's going to create like um, Darth Vader having a. Uh, uh, sex and laser shoot, laser shoot Larry or something because they could just put them wherever they want in the the ideal metaverse world. Really, what Ready Player One, I guess, would be. 
Um, yeah, they're, it, they're not sticking Darth Vader into Second Life or VR Chat or something like that. Like it's in the sanitized world of Fortnite, where you know that the IP is going to be somewhat protected in there. <laughs> right, and on top of all of that, like Epic Games doesn't even let you like sell or trade things. I don't like, believe so. No, they don't. I, I could tell you that uh, 100% okay. sure as someone who plays Fortnite with my eight-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> yes. They do not let you – like if you want to if, – if you – like people who sell their Fortnite stuff, they sell the entire account. Like you have to sell everything. Okay. You can't get like give someone a skin that you have. Whatever is attached to your account is with your account forever. And if you want to get rid of it, you have to get rid of the whole account. I mean that goes – really against everything I've been told about what Web3 in the metaverse is from these crypto NFT people. Like the idea that it would even be in that same world is just ludicrous because it's not. Yeah. And, and even Mark Zuckerberg, like I think he was suggesting the same things, right? Like you'd be able to buy things in the metaverse, but I'm pretty sure you'd be able to trade them as well. And his vision of how it would work, even though you weren't using NFTs and blockchains and all this kind of stuff. But I think that the Epic Games and the Tim Sweeney thing really shows how much the metaverse was really just like a marketing term, right? For basically like a, an MMO with some new features kind of added on to it. Um, and Tim Sweeney would even come out and say like, the metaverse doesn't have to be virtual reality. It can still be a 2D or like it can still be a regular game that you look at like through your computer screen or whatever you don't need to use vr and you know the metaverse is basically just like a 3d world where you buy stuff you know it's like so yeah it's <laughs> so like it exists like you said you brought up totally a second life world of warcraft like all these things existed the whole metaverse play was to me from face from meta's uh uh position it's virtual reality mm -hmm. and then from the crypto position it's all of that, but you throw crypto and NFTs in there and everything is monetized. Everything is a, a financial asset to be bought and sold. And the entire point is to, to make money. So even, totally. e either way you come at it, it's just like not what any successful existing video game franchise is. And like, if you actually and I look think it's no, go ahead. And I think it's good to say, like, most video gamers really hate that stuff, yes. right? The amount of kind of microtransactions and whatnot that are in a lot of games today is really frustrating to a lot of people who play games. And the idea then that you're going to take these worlds, these experiences, and expand them beyond gamers to, like, everybody else, like, I just think it's very unrealistic. But what I would say is that I think that these concepts and these ideas do kind of grasp at something larger that we're still seeing in this moment, right? Crypto cr clearly showed that there was a desire to commercialize more of the web, right? That we've kind of, you know, reached a ceiling with the current mode of commercialization of what we do online and that these companies are looking for something else. And the metaverse showed the same thing, right? You know, Facebook is reaching the limit on its ad dollars. And so where is it going to go next for looking for new opportunities to make money? Sure, it wants to control the hardware and, you know, whatever this future Internet is going to be. But it was also trying to enable transactions that were happening there as those ideas have kind of fallen off a cliff. 
we've still seen interest rates rise. We've seen a challenge to the larger business model of the valley. We've seen the rise of these generative AI tools that are scraping the web. And we've seen these social media platforms move away from kind of everything is available for free. Um, you know, you just need to look at our ads to now Meta and Twitter are offering subscription services where you need to pay a certain amount a month. They are, especially on Twitter, increasingly restricting the amount of features that you have access to um, if you are not pay a paying member. Um, and then on top of that, you see services like Twitter and Reddit trying to shut down people who are scraping the service, trying to exert much more control over what happens on the service um, so that you need to pay to access these other aspects of what is going on there, even if it's not like the direct user experience. And that is really kind of messing up this idea of what the web was supposed to be in like the past 15 years. And as we head into this new kind of moment, like I think crypto and, and metaverse was like um, an early kind of warning that something was about to be shifting because, you know, the model was kind of in in flux. Um, but now as the interest rates have gone through the roof and those ideas have collapsed, that's really forced this kind of larger change to begin happening. And I don't think we're at like, you know, the end game of that. I think we're still kind of trying to see what's happening with that, what's going to play out, what's going to happen with it. But I think that you can clearly see that, you know, there's there's a need to further commercialize what happens online. There's a need to make more money off of whatever we do on the internet. Um, and these companies are trying to figure out the right way to do it. And I don't think they've found it yet, but they're trying to commercialize a, a, a lot more than what we saw in the past. Right, right. I mean, you just gave everybody listening a, a little sneak preview and tease about the next few episodes of the show. Awesome. <laughs> I, have, I have plans of talking about the API stuff uh, with Reddit and Twitter. I mean, I don't want to get into it here because we could, I mean, we could literally talk for hours on all this. Totally. Um, but, you know, the, the, re the really interesting thing to me is like, all these major places, and to bring it back to the virtual reality, uh, you know, at least Meta's virtual reality, because we'll get back to Apple's in a minute, with and their metaverse. Like it's all just been like, just a a, a failure. Like there's no like they, they've put massive sums of money into this, and you know we could look at even the the crypto uh, adjacent metaverse plays. Where they're like, you know, the central and whatever. I think like they had like what their peak was like a few thousand, if even that, users or something. And that was like the big thing everyone was talking about. And of course, we could bring up how, um, you know, um, oh my God, what's that game? Completely, I did a whole episode on it. I'm having a mental block. The oh, one that Axie got hacked. Infinity? Axie Infinity, yes. I mean, just uh, the, the, the face of that whole world. Uh, getting hacked and just screwing it all up for their users who did depend on it in these uh, developing nations where they actually were depending on it for for the the actual like argument like oh people are gonna be doing this for a living and then look what happens one huge error from the developers because they just didn't think these things through and you had a, 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 a entire user base in the main country playing this game. All you heard was story after story about how they just lost all their money or they lost their living. I mean, and so getting back to the the um, the and people, if you want to hear more about Axie Infinity, go check out the the, the episode we did on that. Again, don't want to get too sidetracked here. Um, but uh, you know, Meta put all this money into the metaverse, all this money, and and they even made this really bizarre move. I've never seen this where. 
they raised the price of their VR headset years after it had already been released. That like every gaming console, and let's face it, Meta, if you're listening, Zuckerberg, if you're listening, the closest piece of hardware to that your uh, VR headset is, uh, you know, is too, are the major game consoles like PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo's Switch or whatever the the next Nintendo console is going to be. And usually as time goes on, the consoles drop in price as they prepare to sell the remaining stocks and release the new console. Meta did this bizarre move where they, years after this thing was out there, they raised the price by a hundred bucks. Like I still don't get that play. Like I, I, they had to have lost money with that. I don't know anyone who would have been like, "Yeah, I'm gonna wait for the VR headset to go down in price because I'm not gonna be one of those early users." And then they see the price go up and they go, "Oh, now is the time to buy." Like it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I, I think it clearly shows like one the recognition that this is not working, so they're not going to continue to subsidize the losses on the headset. Um, but then on the other piece of it, like, you know, as the whole business was kind of shifting, we remember last year, um, the value of meta stock, like, you know, went through the floor, like it totally plummeted because they reported, um, declining user numbers on Facebook and they were still burning all this money on the metaverse. So it was clear they had to kind of fix up the bottom line and show that they were doing something, you know, they laid off a ton of workers, um, more recently. So, you know, all of these things were like impacting what was actually happening. And I think that there was also a recognition within the company that the metaverse like play, the metaverse idea was really not working out as they had planned. Um, you know, certainly it distracted from some issues at Facebook for a little while, which was nice, but they weren't really succeeding in building this this brand virtual world that was going to be the future of the Internet. Um, and so there needed to be like a recalibration. And more recently, we've seen Meta and Mark Zuckerberg saying that AI is now their prime focus because that's the thing that everyone is focused on now. Right. Uh, the metaverse kind of recedes into the background. I believe some of these layoffs even hit um, you know, the the teams that work on the metaverse stuff and the VR stuff. So clearly, if that was kind of your focus, if, if that is really the future of the company, I don't think you'd be laying people off who are, who are working on that stuff, even if you're doing kind of, um, you know, layoffs across the company. I don't think they ever actually hired the 10,000 metaverse workers or whatever they said they were going to hire in Europe. I don't remember if you remember that big promise they were going to like build a metaverse center in, in the EU. Um, I don't think that ever happened. I know maybe that they hired journalist... them. In the, maybe they hired them in the metaverse. Maybe they, yeah, <laughs> they hired maybe. a bunch of virtual, <laughs> virtual legless, uh, metaverse characters. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember a number of months back, a journalist, I believe asked meta if, these workers had hired and like they basically got no comment like <laughs> so i think that indicates that it never happened um so yeah you see this large shift away from the metaverse certainly they'll still talk about it i have no doubt about that but i think that there was a recognition within the company that this bet had didn't had not worked out um and that in order to kind of you know, regain the confidence of shareholders. So let's remember Mark Zuckerberg has controlling, um, you know, voting over the company, so he can't actually be forced out, but it's still good to keep the investors happy, I guess. Um, so they needed to lay people off. They needed to not focus so much on the metaverse. They needed to take some other kind of moves to say, look, we got this, you know, not everything is falling apart. It's going to be okay. Um, and obviously the metaverse vision suffered as a result.
from a virtual reality virtual world with a headset and a belief in it so much that they changed the name of the entire company to to brand themselves as this metaverse vr brand all of that to just pivot to a brand new microblogging application (laughs) (laughs) in threads i mean it's 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 incredible to see like obviously the ai play like you said but it really is amazing that they would change the name of their company to all of this and then just like so easily and quickly jump to the next hype, uh, which is AI. And actually, I think Twitter and microblogging is a great example because it is sort of hyped right now, mainly due to Musk and his failures. So people think there is some opening here. I, I tend to think there's not in terms of like an op- there's no opening to like take down a Twitter. That's all hype again. There's an opening maybe for like communities looking to leave Twitter and for you to be their home, but I don't see anything outright becoming a replacement. Um, I think we're really seeing like a disaggregation. Like there are all these communities in Twitter and I think now you're just seeing them leave and kind of establish themselves on their own apps and how successful those apps will be in terms of like a business model. I'm very skeptical of, I think most of them won't work out and I wonder how long it'll take until we start to see some of them fold. Something like Mastodon, I guess is probably not as concerned about that because there's not really a profit incentive built in there anyway. You're just kind of relying on people to run their own servers and whatnot. Um, so maybe, you know, there there's a way that that kind of works out. Um, but I think with threads in particular, what you see there is certainly they're trying to capitalize on, you know, Twitter's kind of failings, what's not, what's not working on Twitter. But I also think that they're not just trying to replace Twitter, as many people have tried to say. I think that they're really looking at that and they're saying, okay, advertisers have left Twitter. There's a market opportunity there where we can offer a similar type of product for a certain subset of the user base and potentially attract some of the Instagram users who would not be Twitter users onto this platform. And now, because we're already selling ads to people on Facebook and we're already selling ads to people on Instagram and we already have all this data about people, we can just add on another place for our advertisers to continue to sell ads and maybe reap an extra few billion dollars out of that and really what did it cost us at the end of the day not nearly that much just to throw this app together right right no that's absolutely it and so let's let's actually pivot back to how we started this conversation and the main sort of uh you know uh entry point angle into this whole virtual reality conversation because they are the one to most recently make the move here and that is Apple. And I think this is a great way to sort of end this, uh, you know, this this great conversation, which, again, we could have probably just uh, went in 20. We almost did it again with the Threads Twitter conversation. <laughs> totally. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, it's what, what's really revealing to me as, as we talk about all of the different plays these companies have made in these various hyped industries to extract a buck out of the consumer base. The most interesting move from Apple to me was the pricing of the Apple Vision. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, Apple Apple obviously has rolled out expensive products before. They have a, a like a their their top of the line desktop computer model, the Mac the Mac Pro, like I think it comes out to like something like 60,000 bucks with all the fixings. Like if you max out 
every spec possible and even throw wheels on that baby. That's right. The wheels <laughs> cost like thousands of bucks on its, in its own. Um, it, it comes out to tens of thousands of dollars for this computer. So it's it's not surprising that they have expensive products, but to me it was surprising that they would hype up the virtual reality headset the way they did and put it at that price. Because when they roll out the Mac Pro, they immediately have a whole sort of uh, um, you know uh, uh, video package and all that that's clearly meant to speak to you know uh, CGI and special effects people. Um, uh, uh, blender artists, like people who are doing hardcore intensive uh, work that requires extremely strong and high processing power. Uh, but with the headset, it was just like everyday woman sitting on her couch using it, guy standing in front of a desk using it the same way he would use his laptop or whatever with the you know the the Mac OS X. Um, screen. It was very interesting to see them do all that and then still roll out the $3,500 product. And like, I don't know how you felt about that, but to me, it was sort of them saying like, hell, even, even we realize that this is not where the rest of this industry either wants it to be or thinks it is going to be. Like, we're not even close. At least that's what, what was my take. Totally. You know, I, I think that when you think about the price, there's a few things that really come to mind. One is even the tech journalists, many of who are like already in the tank for Apple, like they love Apple, they'll they'll promote the hell out of Apple. You know, they'll give it the benefit of the doubt when it sh they showed that off at uh, WWDC. Even a lot of the journalists seemed kind of shocked that it was going to cost that much. Like the thinking was it was probably going to be 2,500, maybe 3,000. 3,500 is like another step above, right? Um, Honestly, 2,500 even... would have shocked me too. <laughs> no, I was totally. I was, like expecting like a, I was expecting like a MacBook Pro price, like 1,500. Right. Well, the, the rumors that were kind of coming out like out of Bloomberg and the people who actually, you know, pay really close attention to Apple were that it was going to be up in this range, but not that high. Right. So then there was already that shock. But I think that it comes back to what we were talking about before. Right. Where the reporting on this suggests that. Apple was not sure whether it wanted to put out this product, that it wasn't getting the tech to where it wanted to be. And it finally came to the point where like Tim Cook and some of the suits said, listen, we got to put something out there. I don't care what we do, but something is going out into the world because this product needs to be shown off. Right. And so they reached this point where they said, OK, it's going out there. We need to kind of pack the capabilities into this. We need to show what it can do. So it's going to be expensive. It's going to be a bit more of a tech demo. We're not going to sell very many of them. There were some stories last month, I believe, that they've already cut back on production um, on these headsets. You know, I think they were only planning to like sell a million next year. Now it's like in the hundreds of thousands between I think it was between 200 and 400,000 headsets. So it, again, already a big cut. Um, so I think that they're already expecting that not many of these are going to be sold. It's going to be for the real fanatics, the real Apple fanboys, the people who have just have money to blow. And it doesn't really matter if this product is going to make any sense or not. Um, so I think that that explains who's going to use it. I think that leaves an opening to also say, hey, we shouldn't be using this at all and to kind of ridicule the, the rich people who do end up buying it and using it. And it just looks kind of stupid, especially if they wear it to the office or in a plane or like we were talking about before driving their car or whatever. Um, but then I think the one other 
piece of this that really stands out to me is that Apple has kind of pushed this vision of like this headset and what it's all going to mean. Um, and just like the, their kind of grand vision for what the future of computing is going to be. But I think that it's very unclear that this is actually going to be a big transformative product, that it's actually going to be something that people want to adopt, that it's actually going to be like the next iPhone or the next iPad or whatever that everyone kind of has to have. Right. I think I'm very skeptical of that. There was some reporting out just a couple of weeks ago that showed that people with uh, smaller builds, smaller heads, and stuff like that, find that they can't wear the headset for more than a half hour. Again, things that we've heard about VR headsets for a long time. No surprise, it's the same with Apple, even though they were saying that they've tested all this stuff. They've made sure it's going to be good for everyone, blah, blah, blah. Even with that right? play they made with the, the battery not being part of the headset. Totally. Yeah, I mean, again, I saw that and I was like, oh, interesting. Uh, you know, that's a very Apple move to consider that. Mm-hmm. Um but it still goes to show you just how like uh, far away this tech is from living up to the hype because absolutely I, I can't imagine people like like it, it honestly looked to me like 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 a like a pro camera rig like mm-hmm. if you're a professional camera person you know you need to put your camera in a cage so you can connect all this stuff to your camera but then sometimes you don't want the camera to be too top heavy. So you need to have these extra peripherals connected to you like on a belt or something. And it obviously if you're a professional cameraman, you're familiar with that stuff, but you're not going to take your camera rig to go to, you know, your kid's school recital and use that camera rig in your everyday life. That's for a professional set. You want just, you know, your, your phone camera or a quick handheld. If you're going to shoot your kid at a, at school, the same thing with these headsets. Like you don't want uh, the heavy battery built in, so you have this big bulky headset. Nor do you want a slightly lighter headset, but with a wire and a big bulky battery to put in your pocket either. You don't want to look like you're you're going to shoot a you know a, a film with Martin Scorsese when you're just trying to <laughs> do your job every day at the uh, at your desk or at the office or when you're hanging out with friends driving in your car with the headset. <laughs> I still can't get over that they want people to do that. I mean, listen, listen. I, this was some rando on Reddit. I you know it wasn't Apple itself but okay and i knew I, I knew it was an apple i thought it was like someone else in the industry i, I forgot it was a rando on reddit yeah um i knew apple wasn't that insane but i uh, definitely could play someone in that industry as insane I mean, oh totally i'm, I'm I mean, sure the rando probably works in the industry like let's be real <laughs> yeah so i mean we're, we're sort of left with like what we see today in the tech industry, and, and the, he, one more thing before we get to my, my final thought was basically going to be just how the, the tech world is just jumping from the the next big thing mm-hmm. based on hype, and they're just jumping back and forth, almost like you know how the the major streamers nowadays don't give their original series as chances to grow. Like they just jump to a hype, uh, a hyped product. And when that doesn't immediately take off, they jump to the next one. Although I would argue that in this case, a lot of these products don't deserve the time to grow that some of those canceled <laughs> series on the streamers do. But well, the point I wanted to make before that though, that I just thought of was how like with all of these things, like even VR, I, I do think there's utility there. Like that's the thing. Like, on this show, when when all the episodes I've done on crypto and all the things I've done about cryptocurrency, NFTs, and Web3, I have seen zero utility. 
have there been like maybe a very specific anecdotal good use case? Maybe here and there. Like I know a guy who is in Russia right now and the best way for him to get money from donations overseas while he does work over there is through Bitcoin. Not everyone lives in a country like Russia right now when they are being sanctioned and everything. So it's a very anecdotal specific case. You can't build an entire industry off of that. So, But beside that though, I haven't seen real utility in the crypto space. But with like AI and VR, there are. But it's not the utility that like these tech companies want because they're very niche. Like AI is like, like oh, you could do this fun, cool thing. Uh, you know, it could help you uh, maybe like uh, put data, a data set better, like organize it better for you to take a look at. But you don't want to trust it to do all the creative work or all the, the writing or anything because it can't do that. It's not meant to do that as much as people want to push that. Or with VR, like I've I've worn the, the the Meta headset and played a cool game on it with my family. Like the I forgot what the game was called, but it was cool and it was interesting. But like that's it. That's that's the utility right there. It's for entertainment. It's for fun. Um, maybe there'll be some industry like uh, that finds a use case. I don't know. I mean, architecture or something. I don't know. But like the idea that. All these things need to be like everything. It's just like they're turning it. They're turning the things that do actually have utility. They're, they're, they themselves are turning it into crypto. They are making it so toxic that I don't even want to like give it the chance to find that utility. Just throw all that shit out before they completely try to envelop everything with it. Totally. Like... The, the whole kind of idea or the whole kind of model of the tech industry that it's pursued for 15 years or you could even go back to like the original dot-com boom, right, is the idea that everything needs to expand, everything needs to be massive, everything needs to be used by everybody, and everything needs to eventually like basically become a monopoly or part of a small oligopoly so that they can reap kind of mega profits from it, right? You can't have something that just has a niche use case that is useful to a certain number of people that really meets their needs really well because that is not profitable enough right it needs to be massive or the vcs and the investors really don't care so vr can't just be something that a certain subset of video game users like to use to play some games or go into vr chat or like whatever they want to do with it it needs to be for everybody and we all need to have one and we all need to go into this metaverse and this is going to be the future of how we live and talk and play and work and blah 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 right it has to be everything and with the ai it's like the same thing, right? They need to scrape the entire web. They need to take everything to create these massive models that rely on kind of concentrated computer power that require a ton of resources and energy in order to run. And they'll say that like, oh, it's a threat to humanity, but we still need to create this stuff. But really it's like, you know, it's not going to have the huge impacts that they are making us believe because those impacts make us you know, ignore the actual potential impacts of these things, which is like a continued de-skilling of labor, a continued kind of ensuring that employers have more power over workers, the potential to roll these systems out in, you know, 
bureaucracies and welfare systems to further kind of carve people out of benefits and stuff like this is the real impact that we're going to see with ai even though like the use cases in the popular kind of media interpretations tell us something completely different but it's like every single time with these technologies it's either a total scam like crypto and a bullshit thing that blows up and we don't hear about again or it's supposed to change the world and going to be the most amazing thing ever and then like we stop hearing about the amazing stuff but what it actually does is really negative and really harmful for workers and like just a lot of people around the world. But then we stop talking about it because it's not sexy and cool and great anymore. Uh, we move on to the next thing. Right. I mean, I want to I want to be able I, I want to be able to face swap, you know, Donald Trump and Joe Biden for <laughs> a, a one minute comedy video and have their faces look realistic on each other's body. That's a cool use case of AI. It's funny. I don't want actors to be completely replaced in hour and a half to two hour long full length feature films with completely AI models. That's not what that's not what we want. Like like they don't they can't they can't just take the tech for what it is and be like, oh, it's cool to use or helpful or uh, easy or, you know, gives, you know, utility to this very specific subset. No, they got to continue to exploit it to the point where they could extract as much money as, as possible out of it. And it's always to the detriment of workers and to consumers even, obviously, and to really everybody but – the people at the top who end up, uh, you know, raining in uh, all the cash. <laughs> totally. Uh, I completely agree. Yeah. Uh, man. Paris Marks, uh, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. And I should let everyone know there was a few tech difficulties in the filming of, <laughs> and recording of this episode. So I really want to extra thank you for uh, hanging in there with me while I fix these tech issues and helping me finish this episode. Hopefully nobody notices. Um, please go back and try to find it now. (laughs) Yeah. I dare you to, you might find one or two things. If you do find something, let me let you tell, let me tell you right now, whatever you find is a very small portion of the things I had to do to fix this episode. (laughs) Um, so, so I don't, I, I don't have that information in front of me right now. Like I did in the beginning of this episode. So can you tell everybody, uh, where can they find you online? Drop Everything you want, feel free to promote the podcast, the newsletter, anything and everything, uh, even things I didn't mention up top. Go ahead. The floor is yours. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, you know, Tech Won't Save Us is the podcast. It's on all the podcast platforms. Go find it. Listen to it. Uh, I have a newsletter called Disconnect where I write about the tech industry and why it all sucks, basically. I have a book called Road to Nowhere, What Silicon Valley Gets Wrong About the Future of Transportation. And, of course, if you want to follow me on social media, just search for Paris Marks. There's way too many social media platforms now, so it's a waste of time to name them, name them all off. Who knows how many they'll still be next week. <laughs> Paris, putting you on the putting you on the spot right here. Let's end it right here. After we we went from you know crypto to to the metaverse, we're now in the AI hype bubble. When this goes down, what does everyone jump to next? What is the next tech hype bubble? I would be tempted to say something around like clean tech or green technology or something like that, right? Like the world is on fire. We're all in the heat waves. We all recognize that like we've totally fucked over this planet. The tech industry wants to profit from that. They're not going to solve the problem. So I would say the next big thing they jump on is probably going to be climate related somehow. And they're going to find a way to suck some profits out of doing absolutely nothing to address the problem. (laughs) 
There you go, everyone. You know who will be on the next Scam Economy episode that talks about the next big hype bubble, which will obviously be clean tech. It's going to be Paris <laughs> Marks. Thank you so much, Paris. Have a great night. Absolutely. You too. Thanks so much. Seriously, I don't think you know how many technical difficulties there were getting this episode together. It's, uh, I don't even know what happened still to this day. Uh, but anyway, I hope you didn't notice or it was a minimal intrusion in your enjoyment of the scam economy. And as always, we will keep on this topic and many others, a lot of great episodes on the way and in the works. To support this show and what goes on here, be sure to go to patreon.com slash mattbinder and become a paying subscriber if you can. You could also become a member on YouTube at youtube.com slash mattbinder where I opened up paid memberships there as well. And of course, you could still subscribe to the channel for free where the video version of this show gets posted. I also do my live streams on there along with multi-streaming on twitch at twitch.tv slash mattbinder and if you are an amazon prime subscriber be sure to connect your amazon account to your twitch account and you get a free twitch prime subscription each month to give to your favorite creator maybe if you don't want to do patreon if you don't want to do youtube and you are already an amazon prime subscriber You'll just subscribe via Twitch Prime over at twitch.tv slash mattbinder. Follow me all over the internet at mattbinder. Be sure to go to scameconomy.com for the podcast version of this show and subscribe over on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're on those platforms, be sure to leave a review. It was absolutely great to have Paris Marks on this episode. I look forward to having many more discussions with him on this show. But until then, I will see you all next time on The Scam Economy. Let's go.